Good to see everybody today. I apologize that my mic wasn't on when I first got up here. Ethan and Denise and I were doing a sign language trio over here. And uh, I just got so caught up in what Ethan and Denise and I were doing, I forgot that I've got a job to do today. I want to think a little bit today about rom-coms. When I think about rom-coms, my mind immediately goes to You've Got Mail and When Harry Met Sally, starring that darling of rom-coms, Meg Ryan. I just love everything that she was in during that period, and she's taken a little bit of a break. I'm not sure why, but I was so happy to read in USA Today a few weeks ago that she has made another rom-com that's supposed to be released, I think, this fall, What Happens Later. In the article in the USA Today that I read, the uh, writer quoted a, another fan of uh, Meg Ryan. And when she was thinking about Meg Ryan and this rom-com, the fan said, a new Meg Ryan rom-com will fix everything. <laughs> well, we're living in a time and a season of chaos and anxiety, fear and divisiveness. We need someone in this season to fix everything. You know, in times of trouble, a lot of us turn to art, to a movie, to a painting, or to a song to give us a sense of calmness, to get us through those times. And one of the songs that give us comfort is the song that we call Psalm 23. We'll spend four more weeks in that psalm. The Hebrew word for psalm is the uh, English word pluck, to pluck, and it, sometimes it's used in the Hebrew culture to refer to plucking a flower, sometimes to plucking a string. I uh, didn't have guitars in David's day, but they had other stringed instruments, and so the Psalms is just a book full of pluckers, is what that is. <laughs> and so that's what we're talking about today. Psalm 23 is a song. Now, most of us, when we think of Psalm 23, we don't think of it as a song. We think of it as something that is read at a funeral. But even if you've never gone to a funeral, you may be very likely have heard uh, Psalm 23 in other contexts. For example, us old-timers, 1970, Rooster Cogborn with uh, John Wayne and, and uh, what is her name? Was she in that too? Catherine Hepburn, who I'm thinking about. Yeah. Boy, I forgot about Ken. Well, Catherine Hepburn is in a scene where she's facing danger, and she quotes the 23rd Psalm. Then a little bit beyond 70, in 1997, there was a movie called The Titanic. That was a big hit at that time. And while the Titanic was sinking into the icy waters of the Atlantic, in the midst of all the chaos, the fear, the death, you could hear a priest reading Psalm 23. And then in 1995, Coolio released a rap song called Gangsta in Paradise. And I just got to tell you, it just feels weird for me to say gangsta because <laughs> I am so not that. I, I'm just very, very white. And, uh, but that's the name of it. I, I would want to say gangster in paradise, but uh, that's not what it was. But he starts this song with a quote from Psalm 23, and I think that the essence of what he was trying to do is to give people who are growing up in a ghetto or in poverty uh, hope that they don't have to have a life filled with violence and so many other sad things. Psalm 23, to me, 
is the let it be of the Psalms. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. David was in trouble. In Psalm 22, he starts out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me is how we learn that. I groan in prayer, but help seems far away. My God, I cry out during the day, but you do not answer. And during the night, my prayers do not let up. We know verse 1 because that's what Jesus said while he was on the cross. And it really gives me a lot of comfort because I know that the shepherd, who is identified as the shepherd in, in the Christian scripture, is with me through the valley of darkness. Because Jesus already went through a valley of darkness. My God, my God. Can y'all relate to this second verse? I cry out during the day, but you do not answer. Psalmist goes on. All who see me taunt me. They mock me and shake their heads. They say, hey, commit yourself to the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let the Lord deliver him, for he delights in him. So his friends knew of David's faith in God, and so they were teasing him. Well, God, where's God? Where's this God that you follow? Where's this God that you worship? He's not really pulling through for you, is he? Yes, David says, you are the one who brought me out from the womb and made me feel secure on my mother's breasts. And I have been dependent on you since birth. From the time I came out of my mother's womb, you have been my God. And so it's almost like he's saying, gosh, I've been with you all my life, but where are you now? Why do I feel so alone? Why do I feel like I'm going through this by myself? Don't remain far from me. Oh, we've all felt like at times that God was way far from us. For trouble is near. You're far away from me, but trouble is near to me. No one here to help me. Bulls surround me. Powerful bulls of Bashan hem me in. They open their mouths to devour me like a roaring lion and their prey. And he goes on and on and talks about the roof of my mouth is as dry as a piece of pottery. That's how my mouth feels all the time, it seems like. My tongue sticks to my gums. You set me in the dust of death. Wild dogs surround me. He is in trouble. And as you read Psalm 22, we have to ask ourselves, wow, do I feel like David? Some of us do at times in our life. We feel in trouble. We feel stressed. I can count all my bones. My enemies are gloating over me in triumph. They're dividing up my clothes among themselves. That's another reference that uh, the New Testament writers refer to. They're rolling dice for my garments. So what kind of trouble are you facing? What's your valley today? What kind of stress are you going through today? This past week, I've run the gamut from the uh, trivial to the severe. I lost my phone at Hy-Vee this week, and I had an appointment at 2 o'clock. I start, thought I'd stop by Hy-Vee on my way to that appointment, and, uh, you know, about 1.15. And I got up in the car about 1.40, enough time to make it to meet this friend, uh, for some coffee and tea, and my phone was nowhere to be found, and it just stressed me out. Now, I just put my 
credit cards on there to pay with Apple Pay. And now that my phone's gone, what am I going to do? So I had that stress, and I found the phone, that kind of thing. Somebody turned it in. And then I dealt with a family who's got a family member who's an alcoholic, and the family member is not admitting it, and it's just causing destruction in the entire family. Met with a family a couple of days ago whose husband and father died unexpectedly. And that made my losing the phone seem trivial. What's your stress been like this week? U.S. News and World Report reported a survey by Gallup. Global unhappiness levels in 2022 match an all-time high. And so what the Gallup people did, they asked people a question, and uh, 142,000 people in 147 countries, I may have that backwards, maybe 147,000 and 142. But the question was a positive question and a negative question. The positive experience, did you feel well-rested yesterday? Were you treated with respect all day yesterday? Did you smile or laugh a lot yesterday? Did you learn or do something interesting yesterday? Did you ex experience enjoyment yesterday? And based on those answers, they were able to chart around the globe how happy people were. Did they have these positive experiences? But then they went to the negative side. Did you experience the following feelings during a lot of the day? Did you experience any physical pain, worry, sadness, stress, and anger? And those people who are a lot smarter than I took all the results and, and did all their statistician stuff to those results, and they discovered how happy the countries were. So as you read those questions of the positive and the negative, how happy are you today? The Gallup people discover that Finland is the happiest country on the planet. That's the same country that invented the sauna. So maybe there's a connection right there, although I'm just not happy when I'm in a hot box. It doesn't relax me at all. The most unhappy country is Afghanistan. We can kind of understand that. The United States, we ranked number 15, the 15th happiest country. I really would think that we would have been higher than that, but we're not. So how about our stress level? How stressed are you? Well, the same poll says that we are stressed. 34% of us say that we experience so much stress in our present day life that it's almost unbearable, that it almost makes us go numb. Black men are more likely to report high stress than white men to a tune of 46 to 28%. Members of the LGBTQ plus community were more likely than those who were not to report that most days their, their stress is just completely overwhelming to a tune of 50% versus 33%. Question, what age group do you think experiences the most stress? The older adults or younger, younger adults? You're right. People who are 18 to 34, 56% of them experience stress. 48% of 35 to 44, look how low it's getting. 45 to 64, 24% of them experience stress. Why is that? Why is it the longer we live, the less stress? 
I think the kids are gone. <laughs> Shouldn't say that. Sorry, Daniel and Devin. Hey, Nisi, will you bring me my cup, please? Thank you. How are you? Are you stressed today? <laughs> she lives with me, and that's just her biggest stressor right there. But look at this. My age, over 65, only 9% of us are stressed. Isn't that great? There are some good things about getting old. And I guess that's one of them. We blame the younger generation. That is so true. That happens. So what do we do to relieve the stress? I, I uh, particularly like to eat to relieve stress. Stress spelled backwards is desserts. So eat more cupcakes. That's what I do. There is a movement across the country of cow hugging to relieve stress. Most of us will just settle for a dog. But there are some cows that are uh, huggable, I suppose. And then there's this idea from David. Maybe he hugged sheep. But he said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. This is the first time I've used a reference in Scripture from the King James Version in like 45 years. But I memorized the Psalm 23 when I was in fourth grade at Forest Park Baptist Church in Joplin, and I memorized it in King James. That's just where my mind goes. The first thing, if you grew up in a religious world like Denise and I, you'll notice something kind of a messes with my mind. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I remember as a, memorizing that when I was nine years old. Why are we learning a passage of scripture that says we don't want God? That just doesn't make any sense. And that's just the nature of Hebrew versus English and King James Version in the 1600s versus English today. And it's the idea that David is saying that in some way, he experiences a connection with God so that all of his needs are being met. Now, David was king. Yeah, he wasn't, didn't go hungry. He had a roof over his head. And so you have to kind of understand this a little bit in the context of where David is as well. What image, when you read the Lord is my shepherd, does that give you of the Lord, of God? It's interesting to me that David does not picture God as a king, as a general, as a commander. He doesn't picture God here as a rock or as a fortress. He's, he's not Thor hurling lightning bolts at people that he's mad at. But David pictures God as a shepherd, someone who is gentle, who is tender, who is very comforting. It's the very same age image that Jesus used to portray God in a story that is recorded by Luke in Luke chapter 15. And he tells three stories of lost things, a lost coin, a lost son, and a lost sheep. And in that story, the lost sheep, remember, Jesus tells the Pharisees that God is like a shepherd with a hundred sheep, and one of them is lost. And that word translated lost doesn't mean he's just got lost at the mall, but he is destroyed. That things in their life 
have happened that just absolutely destroys them. Lost in our vernacular is kind of a, not a minor thing, but it doesn't fit the idea of this person's life is destroyed. And so Jesus says something really weird to me. He says that the shepherd, God the shepherd, will leave the 99 sheep in an open field in order to go find the one that is lost. Now, when the sheep are in an open field, they're very vulnerable to whatever critter, whatever animal might attack them. I'm not sure why Jesus said that. I'm going to have to ask him that. But that's what he did, and he went to find that one sheep. It makes me think about us. I wonder how many, if those 99 sheep were upset that the shepherd left them, I wonder if they felt like they were being neglected because the shepherd left them to go find one who was really, really hurting. Hmm. I don't know how that applies to us, but I think it might. The Hebrew word for Lord here is so big and it's so inclusive. It is the word Yahweh, beautiful name, the name that God uses to identify himself to Moses, recorded in the book of Exodus in the Hebrew scripture. And uh, the translation of that literally is a word of being. So some translators say that Yahweh means to be. So I grew up in a, in a world in which the translators uh, translated Yahweh as I am. So when God identified himself to Moses or herself to Moses, uh, themselves to Moses, it was I am. Now, when you and I say I am, we want to say, well, I am what? If I introduced you as I am, you would say, well, what are you? Maybe that's where will I am of the black eyed peas got his name. But uh, anyway, I am is a weird name. I would, we would want to complete the sentence. I am a pastor. I am a Razorback fan, although I'm a very sad Razorback fan right now. But we want to finish the I am. And, uh, but God is identified as I am. It's almost like God is saying, I am, and you fill in the blank. So for some of you, I am a father. But for some of you, I'm a mother. For some of you, I'm, I'm a friend. I just am what you need. I'm the image that you need. I am love. Harrison Ford was asked last spring about some philosophical things and some spiritual things. And Harrison said, yeah, there's a Protestant theologian named Paul Tillich who wrote that if you have trouble with the word God, and a lot of us do, Take whatever is central and most meaningful to your life and call that God. It's the higher power in, in AA. My mother was Jewish, she says. My father was Catholic, and I was raised Democrat. I don't think that's a really a religion, but I guess it was in their home. Uh, my moral purpose was being a Democrat with a big D. But it didn't apply to a political point of view so much as it applied to nature. I didn't have any religious construct, but I think mature, or rather nature and God are the same thing. Now, some of y'all just freak out at that and say, that's not right. Well, I am fill in the blank. 
God allows us that freedom to see and to understand in a way that best meets us. The mysterious origin of life, science tells us how it happened. Prophecy tells us another story. I found that everything in nature, the complexity, the uh, biodiversity, the symbiotic relationships is the same thing other people attribute to God. Now, aren't you glad you asked that question? You want to get back to the funny shit? Okay. said Paul Tillich when I was at, Southern, at a Southern Baptist seminary, and I was just so enraptured by his out-of-the-box understanding of God. And maybe that was one of the seeds that was planted in my heart, that God was bigger than the box that I had learned that, he, that God was in. And God is the ground of all being. And I am blank. And you might have been filled blank. Let's go on. The presence of God takes us somewhere. Out of our chaos and our tension, our anxiety, the presence of God, love, a friend, a mother, a father, nature, takes us somewhere. This presence, this love, the Lord, I am, maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. That word translated maketh, really means in our understanding today, allows. He allows me to lie down. I'm going to make you lie down whether you like it or not. No, the shepherd just creates an environment that is safe. There is no pressure. There is no guilt from this shepherd. He just creates an environment. I wish more preachers were like a shepherd. So many of us grew up with a preacher shouting at us and pointing their bony finger at us and just heaping guilt all over us and shaming us to do stuff. No, this shepherd allows us, doesn't force us to lay down, but allows us to. And that word lie down, oh, it's kind of the idea of just a sheep relaxing. The sheep is just chill not worried about anything, no anxiety, no stress, so they can just frolic and they just relax. That's the idea behind that word, lie down. And back to 23.2 of our passage, that word translated pastures means in some places in the Hebrew scriptures translated as a house. So it's a permanent place. It's almost like David is saying the shepherd has invited me not just to visit the pasture, but the shepherd has invited me to live at the pasture. This can be my house. I don't have to move away from this place of gentleness and quietness and serenity. So even in the midst of the chaos of losing my wallet, in the midst of a death, in the midst of an alcoholic uh, relative, I can go in my heart in my mind, through meditation, through prayer, through breathing, to that quiet place. Youth choir at Forest Park in Joplin, we used to sing a song, There is a quiet place far from the rapid pace where God can soothe a troubled mind. Sheltered by tree and flower there in that quiet hour. Gosh, I remember singing that song. Even as a 
ninth grader, eighth grader in a Baptist church, we were getting pieces of meditation. We were getting pieces of contemplation and being quiet in the midst of the chaos. And then he leadeth me beside the still waters. Oh my gosh, this shepherd does not push. The shepherd is not driving cattle. He is gently leading. Whenever a religious leader puts pressure on us and you feel like you're being driven out of guilt and shame, I don't think it's the shepherd doing that. You're being manipulated and you're being controlled. You're being harassed. Jesus said the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I'm the good shepherd. I came to give life. Then he leads us beside the still waters, the quiet waters. It's not a rushing rapids that would scare the sheep. It's very calm, very, very calm. There's no shortage of research out there. This highlights the benefits of our stress when we are in nature. Nature has some way of pouring over us and washing away the stress. You know, there are some studies that show, this is crazy, show that being in nature, even if your house is surrounded by trees, it creates within us such a good feeling, equivalent, these researchers say, to getting a $10,000 raise. That's good feeling right there. Or to feeling seven years younger. I'd love to be 60 again. So today, I just need to go sit by a tree. And nature has a way of doing that. Some researchers say even looking at pictures of nature can have that same effect. We got rid of DirecTV last uh, fall when they had an argument with CBS affiliate. I couldn't watch football games, so we went to YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> so we went to YouTube, and uh, my first day we got YouTube TV, they had a commercial, and then they had a very picturesque scene in nature, and it said at the bottom of it, Zen. Take a few moments to relax. I got to say, it was a lot more relaxing in the commercial. And just that moment did that. So are you feeling stressed? Yeah, I'll just take a look real quick at this video. That makes me happy. I don't know about you, but it does me. So here it is, and I close with this. In the midst of the chaos that you're experiencing today, in the midst of the stress and the turmoil, let the shepherd, I am blank, let love guide you. Let a mother guide you, a father, a friend, whatever name connects you to this place in your deepest being of stillness. When all around you is noisy, you and I can go to a quiet place. And to know at that moment in that quiet place, you have within you everything that you need. You don't need a preacher. You don't really need, in this sense, a lot of other people. You don't need instruction. 
You have the light of the Spirit within you. You have everything that you need in that spiritual metaphysical sense. And when all around us is chaos, this love, this presence invites us to a place of peace. It's not a vacation spot where we have to leave and go back to the real world. We can build a house there. It can be a permanent dwelling place in the green grass, soft grass, and the quiet water.